Come on, we're going to jump into our message today. We're in a message series. We started uh, about, well, beginning of this month uh, called Kingdom Manifesto. And we're, we're tracking through the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5. If you brought your Bibles today, turn Matthew chapter 5 and we'll start uh, somewhere around verse 30, 31. And, and so we're breaking down the Sermon on the Mount. We, we, we go back to, uh, I believe it was November, October, November, we actually preached a series called Beatitudes. And that's the first 12 verses of the Sermon on the Mount. And so you can actually jump on northwood.church slash media and you can listen to all those messages and hear just so many good nuggets. Jesus communicating to us, the church, his children, his disciples of how to live inside the context of his kingdom. What does it look like to be a citizen of the kingdom of God? Well, Jesus tells us right here in the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, Jesus is really, he's sharing the heart of God. He's sharing the heart of God's kingdom um, to his disciples who were in the crowd. You know, he's up probably north. If you know Israel geography, I use the state of Mississippi to compare. Zeke, you're from another state, so let me help you out here. So Mississippi and Israel are similar, right? They're the same shape. And they, you know, so you imagine with me, Jesus was up around, he was up around Oxford or maybe up around Starkville, up in that area of Israel. So he was up central north and, and he had been preaching there around the Sea of Galilee and, and Capernaum was one of those towns where he preached a lot. Most theologians believe that the Sermon on the Mount was delivered on a hill, but not a mountain, even though we call it Sermon on the Mount, it could have been called Sermon on a Hill. But a hillside somewhere up near Capernaum, up north Mississippi, right? Up, there were people from all over Mississippi from the coast that went up. People from Tupelo came down. People from Alabama came over and Louisiana came over. They, people coming from everywhere, they wanted to hear this guy, this rabbi. Because he was a difference maker, a man of power. He was healing the sick. He was raising the dead, opening blind eyes and casting out demons and the word had spread and people were coming from all around to hear this rabbi. So the mountains or the hillside would have been littered in people all over. They would have been on their, on their blankets out there. They would have been having their picnic lunches. They would have been out there listening intently. And so his disciples were there. And at this time in his walk, he had, he'd gone out and, and been baptized. He had gone out into the wilderness and been tempted by the enemy and overcome Satan by the word of God. And he had gone out and he had began his earthly ministry. And here he was, Early in that ministry, he had called four disciples. And so there they were, I'm sure, sitting right there at his feet or listening intently, his four, four of his many. And there may have been other, others of his future disciples in the crowd, but there were Jewish people there. And they knew, they knew, they knew. They had been taught their whole lives in the synagogues all about the Old Testament. They knew the law of God, yet he was teaching it in a fresh way. And there were religious people in the crowd. And it's important to note there because even in this room today, there might be some people who you have grown up in church and you hold true to the Bible and the word of God is your standard. And there's nothing wrong with that. But in that crowd today, and even maybe in this room today, Jesus was confronting. And, and, and that sounds bad, doesn't it? But how many of you know, we should open our hearts to allow Jesus to confront us. Just right now, Father, in Jesus' name, I open my heart, confront me. God, would you confront us today? Come on, just ask him to confront you today. Deep inside, his voice in your heart. Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit would convict us and confront us today. God, that we would repent of our ways and conform to your ways. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Jesus, in Matthew 5, 17, said, Do not think that I have come to abolish the Old Testament, the law, the prophets. Don't think, don't think that I've come to do away with all those things. Honestly, the law and the prophets, the Old Testament, that's the very heart of God. 
The things God says in the Old Testament, that's his heart. He wants to protect us. He wants to help us to grow and be healthy and not end up in the ditch. You know, we said a few weeks ago, uh, the, the, the heart of God is to keep us in our lane, not to, not to ease over in the wrong lane, right, and head into oncoming traffic, but also not to head off into the ditch. He puts those little bumps on the sides of our lives to keep us from running into the rumble strip, right? And the word of God keeps us from running into the ditch, it keeps us in between the lines. And that's, Jesus knows that. And so he's not, doing away with the safety measures of God, the truth of God, the very heart of God. He actually says here, I have not come to do that, but I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them, to fulfill them. And so we're going to jump right in here uh, this week and talk about the heart of the law, specifically the heart of integrity. Last week, we, we talked about marriage. We talked about divorce. Marriage is a great commitment. Those of you that are married, here today. I hope you realize that marriage is a great commitment. I believe you do. And when you went to your wedding and you walked that aisle and you stood before a minister or whatever, maybe, maybe it was a justice of the peace, but assuming you stood before that minister and you, you, you heard the minister challenging you and, and then you shared some vows with each other. Y'all remember the vows that you shared with each other? Most people don't, but you did. You shared some vows with one another and you said, I promise I vow to support you and to love you even when you're sick and grumpy. I vow to support you. I vow to do the dishes and do the laundry. Did y'all say that? Come on, wives. Elbow your husband said, you said it. You don't remember, but you said it. I vow till death, what? Do us part. And that is God's heart is that we would make the vow in marriage and stick to it. Yet, yet so many, as you well know, even us, many times we, 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 we lessen the value of that vow. We lessen the value of the marriage commitment. Today we're going to talk about, Jesus is going to talk about oaths and vows and how important they are. We see in Matthew chapter 5. Verse 31, again, you have heard that it was said. Jesus said this on each section that we're going through here. You've heard it said, you, you've heard, you know, in the Old Testament, you've heard, again, you've heard it said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. So he hit the baseline right there. You have made an agreement, whatever it may be. Maybe it's to your spouse. Maybe it's a contract to an employer where you have made a vow to serve for seven years or 10 years to an employer. Or maybe just you've, you've, you've gone to the government and made a deal. You've signed a contract. You've said yes to something. Or maybe you've laid your hand on a Bible even and raised your right hand and said, I do solemnly swear. Whatever it may be, you've made this vow. And you know what it says in the Old Testament, you shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. Now, Jesus was referring to several Old Testament uh, scriptures that would have been well known by all of them in the crowd, really the Jewish people in the crowd, the religious alike. He was referring to Leviticus 19.12. It says, you shall not swear by my name falsely. This would be God commanding his people. You shall not swear by my name falsely. And so profane the name of your God, I am the Lord. So God's drawn a line in the sand. Don't take the Lord's name in vain is what he's saying here. Don't, make a, don't swear and not come through. Numbers chapter 30 verse 2. If a man vows a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by a pledge, 
He shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. If you say it, do it. You can say, be a man of your what? Uh, we know what it means, yeah. Deuteronomy 5.11, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. This is a very big deal to God that we do not take his name or use his name in a vain way. I really don't think we understand this and the whole statement of don't take his name in vain is... You know, we, we limit it down to don't, don't say the cuss word, you know, the, the, the cuss word. I'm not going to say it. If you know it, you know it, right? Uh, that's what we say. Don't, oh, oh, don't take the Lord's name in vain. Or, 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 or y'all going to kill me for this, but, or, or we'll say something. We'll hear our kids say, oh, my God. And we go, oh, my God, don't, don't. I just did it twice. <laughs> oh, my God, don't take the Lord's name in vain. You know, we limit it to that, <laughs> And really, it's no different than the Jewish people. The Jewish people, um, they, they called him Yahweh, and they would not say the word Yahweh. They would not even write the word Yahweh. They would leave out letters so it would be incomplete, so it wouldn't be the official word of, you know, the name of God. They were so afraid of using the name of God in vain that they wouldn't do it at all. And, and they were missing it too. It wasn't even God's intent necessarily. Now, I'm not making light of it, and I'm not saying you can start using those curse words either. Don't think I'm giving you permission, but... It's so much bigger than that, so much broader than that. He goes on, he says, but I say to you, again, we're seeing Jesus here say, you've heard it said, right? This is what the Old Testament says. And then he steps up and he says, but I say to you, which really rattled the religious people. Like he was literally adding to the weight of their, their religion, the thing that they lived by. It'd be like somebody well, not somebody. It'd be like Jesus walking in today and saying, hey, get your Bibles out and get a pen because we're going to add some words. W would that be awkward? <laughs> I mean, some of you would defend it even against Jesus. Oh, no, you even told us, Lord, if you add to or take away. <laughs> I read that scripture. <laughs> Maybe you didn't, but it's in there. But that's what he was essentially doing. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, <laughs> either by heaven for it's the throne of God. Or by earth, for it is his footstool. Or, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And Do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make a hair white or black. But let me explain. And some of you might get it. Some of you, I, I had to understand this before I got it here. So the Jewish religious people, they had basically, they had taken the Old Testament and they had made, say, categories of oaths categories of vows they categorized them at different levels and this is the way you say this one and this is the way you say that one so so they would not say the lord's name in vain they 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 would not say i vow to you by by the name of god they wouldn't do that but yet they would do things like well i vow to you by heaven so it was a way of saying there's extra weight on my vow i vow to you by heaven or i vow to you by earth i vow to you by whatever, the hair on my head. I vow to you by the hair on my head. You don't have to worry about that, do you, Rob? <laughs> but, well, the crazy thing is, they would do this, and then they would find ways to wiggle out, to find the loopholes. Rob, they would uh, say, I vow to you by the hair on my head. This is a true story. And then when they didn't want to complete the vow, they would shave their head. 
just to get out of it. They would find the loopholes. You know, there's something about loopholes. There's something about getting out of commitments. You ever made a commitment you just wanted to get out of? Maybe you told somebody you would meet them on Saturday morning at 8 a.m. to help them move to another state, you know? Because in the moment, you felt sorry for them. You're like, let's go do it, you know? And then Friday night, you're thinking, man, I don't want to do that. <laughs> oh, y'all laughing because you know you've done this. We all have. Man, I don't want to do that. And you try to think of reasons. You start to text, hey, man, listen, my mama's cousin's aunt just got COVID and I got to stay in quarantine. I mean, you, and you know, they don't believe that. So you delete it. And my boss called me into work. Oh, that's not true. And, and you, you, you type it out five or six times until you find something that's, that's true enough, but not true to get you out of the commitment. We, we just, we wiggle out of the commitment or maybe it's something bigger. Maybe you wiggle out of the big commitments, things that maybe you told somebody you'd pay them back. Hey man, you can let me borrow a hundred dollars. I'll pay you back this Friday when I get paid. And Friday comes and you get paid. And after your bills are paid, you don't have any money left. And so you've made a vow, a commitment to pay this person back $100, but you don't do it. I, I'm saying this kind of tongue-in-cheek, but we, we've had a lot of people come to the church and ask for money. And recently someone came to the church and asked for money. And I, I'm, we, we have policies that help protect uh, our benevolence, you know, to make sure that the money that we give to the church isn't just wasted or, or given um, away improperly. But, but we do support people and we help people a lot, a lot, by the way. But someone recently came to the church and it was a situation where they just didn't meet any criteria that we have. And I had to tell them no. And they were mad at me. And, and before they left, they, they, there was two people and they both pulled out brand new cell phones. And I don't know if it was the Holy Spirit or my flesh just noticed it, you know, and kind of got mad. And, and I'm being honest with you. Sometimes I get that way um, because, man, that's so deceptive to come ask for hundreds of dollars from the church when a person has spent their money on something else like that. You know what I'm saying? Does that, does that resonate with y'all? Is it just me? Uh, maybe I shouldn't have shared that example, but it's the truth, you know, and it's, it's, it's not right. To tell somebody you're going to do something and then not do it. Yet the Jewish people had a way of, of doing that. Things that they would do to avoid both using the Lord's name in vain, but also avoid <laughs> fulfilling the commitment. And God said, this is not okay. It would be akin to us saying, I swear to God, <laughs> I swear to God. Why do we do that? Man, the fish was this big. I swear to God it was. Some of you are like, oh, I did that. <laughs> Why do we have to do that? Why do, we, why do we have to add, accentuate? Well, Jesus corrects them. He's correcting them. He's correcting us today. And he says that everything, everything and everyone belongs to God. So consequently, it's not possible to swear by God or anything else that's not taking the Lord's name in vain. It's vanity. It's improper. So what's the big deal here? What, why would Jesus do this? Why do we care? What's the big deal with oaths and vows? When someone makes an oath, it's a commitment to truth. Come on, somebody say truth. The thing is about, well, three people said it. The thing about truth, the thing about truth is that truth is the very nature of God. Truth's not something that comes from God. God is truth. If you say you're in the light, you say you're God's child, your own God's team, then you live in the truth. Come on, somebody. You live in the truth. And if you don't live in the truth, you live in a lie. 
So it's not just telling the truth, it's being truth. It's being the very essence of truth. It's us walking in truth. And when we make oaths or vows or commitments to someone in any way, we're, we're saying, I'm aligning with truth. And that's why I'm going to fulfill what I said. Let my words have weight. Yes means yes and no means no. And I'm going to stick to that. And, and the contrast of that would be to say things that you're not going to do, to just flippantly, randomly say things. And we've all done it, but it's not right. And what it does is it aligns us on the opposite side of truth, which is falsehood. It's a lie. It's a deception. And Jesus wants us to live in freedom. He wants us to live in truth, right? He even says, come, live in me. Plug into me. Be connected to me. I am the truth, right? I am the way. I am truth, he says. So if we don't plug into him and we don't live in truth, we're turning our back on truth. And that's not healthy. That's not God's way. And he confronts this both in this context of these Jewish people, but also here today. I was trying to think, I've ever done this? And immediately I remembered as a kid, we used to say things, cross my heart, hope to die. Did y'all ever do that? Some of you old people know what I'm talking about. Come on, some of you old people. Bill, you're old enough to know. You remember that. Cross my heart, hope to die. We used to say stuff like that. I don't know. Don't ever say that. Caleb, don't say that. It's, but it's akin to that. That's the first thing that popped in my mind when I thought of this. Jesus is truth and expects us to live in truth because a broken vow not only dishonors God and turns our back on God, but a broken vow, a lie, a deception. Well, according to what Jesus says, it, it brings the wrath of God. You could say the displeasure of God. It certainly doesn't bring the favor and blessing of God. We do the same things today. We try to circumvent our promises, our contracts, and commitments with people, and sometimes with God. And it reduces the value of truth in our lives. It reduces our understanding of truth. Another idea that came to me, what we used to do, and I don't know if you've ever done this, but we used to say, I promise, but we would have our hand behind our back with our fingers crossed. Y'all ever done that? Yeah. So you get what I'm saying. Now, maybe you don't do that as an adult. Maybe that's a juvenile thing. But we do things just like that. I meant it, but I didn't mean it. I always say things like, well, I'll just break the contract and pay the penalty. It's like not paying your taxes. You know, that's one of those things. That I know some of y'all are thinking, I hope you don't go there. And I'm really not going there. It just popped in my head. But it's like not paying your taxes. You know, it's not even that you signed up for that. But it is the way it is. And we've got to side with truth. Jesus continues in verse 37. Let what you say be simply yes or no. And then he adds a little statement here. Anything more than that. If you feel like anything needs to be added to your yes or your no. It actually is rooted and it comes from evil. It's rooted in darkness. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. If you say yes to someone, it should matter. Let your word, let your reputation, let your integrity speak for itself. So that's a good question to ask ourselves right now. Can people take me at my word? Can people take me at my word? And if you can't answer yes to that, if, if there's, if it's kind of blurry, if it's kind of gray, then Jesus is talking to you today. It doesn't have to be that way. He says, any more than that comes from evil. If you have to add any weight or gravity to your yes or your no, 
It's rooted in evil. So deception started for us biblically is back in the Garden of Eden. So we know the story, Genesis chapters 1 and 2, God creates everything, including mankind. He puts them in a garden. In chapter 3, the serpent came into the garden and God had planted all these trees and, and most of you know the story here but there was two particular trees in there in the garden of Eden the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and God said you can have any of any tree you can eat of any tree you can eat anything it's all yours you just cannot eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil so he had one rule in life and it was don't eat of this tree don't eat the fruit of this tree so the serpent came into the garden and there was Eve standing over there I don't know what they were doing Adam and Eve were both probably standing there somewhere close by that tree and maybe they were standing there looking at it who knows right we're curious kinds of people but the serpent came up and he said did, did God really say you can't eat of that tree right there Casting doubt, bringing deception and darkness to the truth of God. The truth of God, the creator of all things, including Adam and Eve, including that tree, including the serpent. Doubting what God said. Now I want to tell you, just let me just skip. Can I take a commercial break? If you are on social media, if you are on certain types of social media, if your kids are on social media, TikTok for instance. If your kids are on TikTok there's a video that's, oh, it's very positive. You swipe up. There's another video and it's saying, uh, you know, I used to believe the Bible, but then I found a few verses in the Bible that aren't true. And that led me to deconstructing. Come on, somebody, you know what that is, right? Come on, parents, y'all know what that is, right? Deconstructing, you probably don't. And you probably need to, if your kids are deconstructing or one day will be, and you don't even know what it is, you should look it up. You should check into it. But this guy's on there saying, you know, I used to believe the Bible. But then I found these scriptures that aren't true. And so I began to deconstruct and finding other scriptures and all these other, yeah. And it's just throwing doubt, doubt, doubt in your young person's head. And they're like, you know, I, I, I mean, you know, I thought, it, I, was, I thought it was true. I mean, I thought it was true, but maybe it's not true. Maybe, maybe it's not true. Maybe, I, maybe it's not true. And here they are, they're aligning themselves with darkness. It's no different than what the serpent did in the garden. And he's not done, y'all. He's still doing it today. And he may not be up in your garden, but he's up in your kid's cell phone. And many of you might be up in your cell phone. And if he's not today, wait, he'll be there tomorrow. And so aligning ourselves with truth is bigger than just what we say and what we do and what other people think of us. And does my yes mean yes and my no mean no? No, aligning with truth keeps us from error and slipping into deception. Allowing the deceiver to come in and put doubt in our minds about the one who loves us and made us and died for us to redeem us. How could we doubt the one who loves us and died for us, but yet we do? Anything more comes from evil. The devil, Satan, Lucifer, whatever you want to call him, is the father of lies. That's what the Bible calls him. And he leads us into deception, which brings shame and guilt it brings a lowered value of our perception of ourselves when we look in the mirror. It brings a, a lowered value of the way we see people. And remember, we're each made in the image of God. And so I should see you in the image of God and have great respect for you and great value for you. But if 
I step out of truth and I get into the lie and the deception, into the darkness. Now I'm no longer living by truth, which says that you're made in the image of God. And so now I can see you differently. And now I begin to lower the, the, the value that I've been giving you. And now I'm going to treat you accordingly. Not only that, not only does it affect the way I see myself, the way I see other people, it affects the way I see God in general. And so, in, you know, I just invited everybody out here to prayer on uh, Wednesday night at 7 o'clock. And some people don't pray because they don't have, there's no value there. There's no value there. They don't pray at all. Because we, the way we see God is skewed, it's twisted, it has, it's tainted with a measure of darkness. If we understood completely what God really meant and represents in our lives, we would be at his feet every day. Every morning we would wake up and say, Holy Spirit, I can't live without you today. The devil is a liar. He provokes us to embellish truth to lead us into deception, little white lies, half-truths. So I'm going I'm 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 to balance what I just said with there is a scripture in the Bible that says, speak the truth in love. In other words, we, we shouldn't just walk out of here today and say, okay, we got to just speak the truth. So you ugly, bro. <laughs> I mean, I'm just being honest, right? <laughs> that, that's not what I mean. Um, we can't do that, right? You can't just tell your spouse everything that pops in your head. That, that would not be healthy. <laughs> Believe me, please don't do it. So you understand there's a balance there. We speak the truth in love. We, we wrap it. We package it. Truth is truth regardless. And we should be honest and truthful. But we should tactfully present truth. And even know when not to present truth. Because it could be more destructive by telling the truth than withholding truth. Right? Sometimes we have truth that we need to just pray about. If you know a truth about someone... And it could be destructive if you deliver that truth. Then you should just pray for that person or pray for that situation that God would help to make it work out, you know. And so there is telling the truth in love. So I wanted to just balance that because some of y'all might have been thinking, okay, here it comes. Tell the truth. Three things that you can take away from these scriptures today. Number one, it's, it's better not to make a vow than to make one that you do not intend on keeping. Number two, vows shouldn't be made on just any occasion, but should be reserved for important things. So last week we talked about hyperbole a little bit, but this week again, Jesus says, it's better you don't take a vow at all. And most theologians, as we put that contextually in the word of God, he was using hyperbole. He was exaggerating. He was saying, it's better for you. Just like last week, he said, you just, if you can't handle it, pluck your eye out if you can't stop lusting. Pluck, you know, cut your hand off if you can't stop stealing. You know, well, that was hyperbole. Don't cut your hand off. Don't pluck your eye out. And it's not that we don't take vows. You can't say, well, Jesus said, don't take a vow. So I ain't never getting married. I mean, you can't do that. That's not what he meant. But if you're going to take a vow, make sure it's, it's reserved. There are some things where we should say, I vow by God. There are some things, but there's very few things. And it's not every day on the job. <laughs> and Jesus is confronting that and clearing that up for us. The third thing that we can take away from this message, these scriptures today, is this, we must try to keep our word in every situation. Amen? Do y'all feel right about that? We should try to keep our word in every situation. Jesus tells a parable later in Matthew about two sons and the first son was asked to go into the field and do some things and he said he would, but he didn't. 
And the second son said he wouldn't, but then he ended up doing it. And the question was asked, which is more faithful? And the one who did, who put action to the request, was the one who was deemed more faithful. And God's looking for our faithfulness in our words. And the words we speak to one another and the words we speak to our, our employers, or our teachers, or our coaches, the words we speak in the community, they should matter. Our yes and our no should matter. As disciples of Jesus, we're to live a life of integrity in our words and our commitments. Proverbs 10, 9 says, whoever walks in integrity walks in security. I'm sorry, let me read that again. Whoever walks in integrity walks securely, but he who makes his ways crooked will be found out. Now, how many of you, how many of you have you ever used the word crooked when you were talking about somebody? And, 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 and typically it's going to be someone, maybe it's a, maybe it's a politician. I think politicians uh, are crooked in many cases, right? Um, uh, pastors, it might have been a pastor, hope it wasn't me, um, that you said that about, or maybe it was an employer, maybe it was a boss, or maybe, or maybe it was, um, maybe it was someone in the community that was, that was just deceptive, you know, their reputation preceded them, and everybody called them crooked, and crooked would be someone who doesn't walk in integrity, Jesus is confronting that today. And he's saying, guys, as believers, as Christians, we got to walk in integrity or we'll be crooked. Or we'll be deemed as crooked. The word integrity means completeness. You know, Ernie, you've built some houses over the years. And you know that if the foundation is not done properly, it affects the whole house. As a matter of fact, if the, the foundation is not square, is that the word? then the whole house is, lacks integrity. And it's going to affect the whole build out. Everything's got to be crooked if the foundation's crooked. You know, you've got to build the walls crooked <laughs> to make them fit. And Jesus is calling us to live on a firm foundation with integrity. Living a life of integrity is easier than living a life of deceit and dishonesty. We're going to pray in just a moment and I want to challenge you. I want to challenge all of us that we do three things in this prayer. Number one is to be willing to be honest with God at least. And that might start with being honest with yourself. And you might even pray a prayer like this and say, God, would you search me? And if there's anything in me, if there's anything in me that is deceitful or dark, God, would you, would you show me? God would much rather show you and give you a, a chance to repent than he would to show everybody else and bring condemnation on your head. Is there anything in me that's deceitful? And to be able to admit it, confess it, not to people right here in this room, but just to God. To be able to confess it to God and literally repent. Repent of it. Repent sometimes is misunderstood, but repent means I'm, going, I'm, I'm headed one way and I stop. And I turn around. That's what it means to repent. And if God's dealing with you today concerning your words and your integrity and your commitments and your failure to walk in the light and the truth, take a moment today to repent and invite the Holy Spirit 
to help you to begin to live right, to live according to truth. And then a third part of that prayer would be to ask God to help you restore your reputation, to repair your reputation in the days and months coming ahead. It's possible that God can take a life that's been lived in darkness and deceit. He can take a life like that and he can redeem it and bring it into the light and bring it into the truth. And you can begin to walk in truth. The Holy Spirit can convict you because you, you'll, you'll, you'll mess up. You'll, you'll, you'll lean into deception, especially if it's been a pattern in your life. And the Holy Spirit will, will convict you and correct you and bring you back to truth. It is possible for God to redeem your life and redeem your action and redeem your words. And you can live a life that glorifies God. So let's get together and pray right now. Just right there where you're at, close your eyes and get along with God. Just you and Jesus right here in this room. Father, we do. We take a moment to ask you to analyze our lives. Look inside of us. Maybe we already know. Maybe we feel it already. The conviction of the Holy Spirit. But God, we admit we've lived in deception. We've been liars. So many reasons, but no excuses. So many reasons, but no excuses. So today we're asking, Father, would you forgive us? Forgive us for lying. Forgive us for living in darkness. For allowing ourselves to be deceived, just like Adam and Eve. Into doubting you and doubting your truth and doubting your word. God, we repent. We turn from that. We ask you to forgive us today. The Holy Spirit, we, we invite you. Come on, we invite you to live inside of us, to, to guide us, to coach us, to teach us, to comfort us, to be the very truth, the standard that we aspire to live by. Help us to live in that truth. Come on, I believe God is dealing with hearts all over the room right now. God, as we receive your forgiveness, as we're cleansed by the sacrifice that Jesus made for us on Calvary, God, we're asking you to help us going forward to walk upright, to walk in righteousness, to walk in truth, to speak the truth, to honor our word, to live up to what we say, to be men and women of integrity. Father, to identify those things in our lives that could lead us astray and to be able to just turn from them, to put them away. And cling to truth. We thank you, God. Thank you that you help us every day. But if you're here today and you've never said yes to Jesus, you've never given your life to Jesus, God is here today and he's, he's inviting you. The Word of God tells us, the Bible tells us that that if you believe in your heart that Jesus died for your sins and you confess them with your mouth, Arnie, you, you touched on that earlier. If you confess them with your mouth, it says that you would be saved. The word saved means to be 
to redeem, be redeemed from eternal separation from God. God's inviting you to be a part of his family, inviting you to be a part of his redemptive power and presence. If that's you today, just say yes to Jesus. Receive him today. Say yes to his call today. God, we receive you. We receive you in Jesus' name and your truth in our lives. Help us to live for you in all of our days in Jesus' name. Amen.